Hello and welcome back to the archives, our incomplete. We have, and by we I mean me, me have decided to introduce seasons and different episode numbering to make things a little bit more organized if you filter that way. Season 1 is already complete. You didn't even know it. Uh, that is the Old Republic novels. That is episodes 1 through 11. Those will be season 1, episode 1 through 11, and also podcast episodes 1 through 11. Season 2 is the Clone War novels, which starts with episode 13, cloak, or sorry, episode 12, Lockdown. That is season 2, episode 1, overall se episode number 12. And that goes until, uh, I believe, episode 41, which will be next week's episode, which is The Last Jedi, season 2, episode 29, overall episode 41. Uh, so I guess we'll call it number 41, and then season 2, episode whatever. So this is, with that rambling out of the way, number, archives are incomplete, number 40, season 2, episode 29, Patterns of Force, the title of which I always want to call Patterns of the Force, but nope, it is just Patterns of Force. Uh, the author is Michael Reeves, as is he is the author of the other two books in this trilogy. Let's dive right in to the back of the book. Throughout the galaxy, a captured Jedi is a dead Jedi, even in Coruscant's most foul subterranean slums, where Jedi Knight Jax Pavan champions causes of the oppressed with the help of hard-nosed reporter Dender and the wisecracking droid I-5YQ. But Jax is also involved in another struggle, to unlock the secrets of his father's death and his own past. While Jax believes that I-5YQ holds some of these answers, he never imagines that the truth could be shocking enough to catapult him to the front lines of a plot to kill Emperor Palpatine. Worse yet, Darth Vader's relentless search for Jax is about to end in triumph. The future looming over the valiant Jedi and his staunch pals promises to be dark and brief because there's no secret whatsoever about the harshest truth of all. Few indeed are those who tangle with Darth Vader and live to tell the tale. Um, okay. So, being captured is dangerous, even in the most dangerous part of the galaxy for Jedi. Who would have guessed? Jax... Pavan really gets upsold a lot in this series, like a big glow up from a three-month-old knight to a master and a mentor and a great combat. He has lots of failings, but it feels like... I'm going to get to that later because that's a bit of a rant. Um, anyways, he is not really struggling to unlock the secrets of his father's death and his own past. He's just like, hey, I-5, can you tell me? And I-5's like, yeah, sure, here's some information. That's the whole struggle. Also, the truth, the information that he gets from his father doesn't catapult him to the front lines of a plot to kill Emperor Palpatine. A member of Whiplash comes up and is like, hey, your droid would be a great assassin. Can you kill the Emperor? And he's like, let me think about that. Wait, you're from my dad's path. Like, it doesn't bring him to the front line. Also, they're like, yep, uh, Vader's going to complete his search for Jax, even though he's found him several times before, so that doesn't really make sense. That's like... Oh, Vader wins, and like, everybody who fights, or few, fight Darth Vader and live to tell the tale. But, like, we've already escaped Darth Vader multiple times in this series, and so it doesn't carry a lot of weight. Oh, okay, let's try this on for size. I have written my own blurb for the book. If you've read this, please let me know what you think in the comments or wherever it is. Maybe reach out to me directly, because I don't know where comments are for this podcast. Don't worry, I'm a professional. Alrighty. 
Jedi Knight Jax Pavan still struggles to survive in the underworld of Coruscant, hiding under the noses of the Sith Lords who brought about the downfall of both the Jedi and the Republic. He has ample opportunity to escape, but his morality and upbringing as a bearer of justice means that he is compelled to stay on Imperial Center and help those who don't have the same abilities and opportunities that he does. His staunch allies in his mission include Den Dur, a household name in investigative journalism, at least in his own mind, and I-5YQ, a droid whose sentience grows every day and is growing closer to his allies. Their precariously balanced lives are thrown into further disarray when an old comrade of Jax's father approaches the group with a plot to assassinate the Emperor. At the same time, the ever-threatening presence of Darth Vader and his force-hunting Inquisitors draws nearer, and the danger is only compounded with the discovery of a powerful force adept. In the shadowed streets of Coruscant, it can be hard to discern what is right and what is wrong. Will Jax and his allies make the right decisions? And even if they do, will they have the strength to survive the consequences? That sets things up without just being wrong and still has your dramatic flair that you want. Anyways, should you read this? Well, if you thought my blurb was better than the book or the book's blurb, maybe I should just write a novel and you should read that instead. If you've read the other two books in the series, yeah, read it. It'll give you like a little bit more conclusion to the storyline. Surprise, this is book three of three in the trilogy, but there's a fourth book that's not in the trilogy that's also about Jax that's set immediately after this, and I don't understand why it's not part of the series, and it's just like a standalone book. It really should be part of the series. Anyways, uh, this is definitely one that you can afford to gloss over a little bit unless you're doing like a, I read everything, or I want to know all the Jedi. Um, so, safe to skip. What are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about the plot as usual. Uh, a little bit about Jedi training, we're gonna talk about how I feel about this series as a whole, and some of the characters in it, uh, and then like one or two miscellaneous details. I think this one will actually be short, folks. Now diving into the plot, as usual with Michael Reeves, we have a few converging plot lines. The second plot line, and yes, we're starting with the second, follows Kajin Savaros, a teen force adept living in the streets. His parents sent him to Coruscant to learn from the Jedi after Inquisitors attacked their farming village. He's been living off his wits and his force talents. Uh, the force builds up in him over time, and he's never been trained to release it, so he has bursts of power, which are easily detected by Inquisitors. What's weird to me is that the Inquisitors visited the farm which prompted his family to send him to Coruscant to be trained by the Jedi, which means it was after Order 66 and there were no more Jedi, no more temple, maybe people just didn't get the memo. Anyways, one of those Inquisitors is Probus Tesla, the focus of our third plotline. He's a highly ranked and experienced follower of Vader and is seeking to gain more power like literally every Dark Lord. His primary task is to track down Jax Pavan and bring him in alive. Vader started with a bean counter, Renan, then a bounty hunter, Ara Singh, and now he's using his own forces that can detect the use of the force and can fight a Jedi and have been on Coruscant the whole time. Uh, confusion over why he didn't use them earlier is brought up in the book and not addressed. They're just like, it's weird that Vader did this, huh? Sure is. Okay, let's move on. With why? Mmm. Lampshading. Did not succeed here. It just made me more frustrated. I had the thought independent of the book bringing it up, and then the book was like, we're going to address it. JK, no. However, anyways, on one of his expeditions into the underworld tracking Pavin, Probus senses Kajin's power and tracks him down. The two have a short duel, and Kajin, or Kaj, is able to manipulate electromagnetic fields to imprison and apparently kill Probus, a highly trained Inquisitor. 
Labyrinth and Jax at this time grab Cash and bring him back to Jax's lair. But going back to the first plotline, which we haven't talked about at all, I-5 and Jax and the rest of the gang are asked by Tudensal to attempt an assassination on the Emperor. Uh, Saul, while a member of Whiplash, was Lauren Pavin's old colleague of sorts, and rather than sending I-5 to the Jedi Temple over a decade ago in Shadowhunter, as he promised he would, he wiped I-5's memory, deactivated him, and sold him for personal profit. He has since been laid low by the machinations of Palpatine and wants revenge. Um, in any case, the theory is that I-5 looks like a protocol droid, because he's a protocol droid, and can act like one, because he's a protocol droid, but is armed and is not hindered by morality or non-violence protocols, and so would be able to effect an assassination. Also, as a droid, he would not be discernible in the Force to the Emperor. Uh, so that's the big question, and the question put forth is, are you going to do this? Who's for it? Who's against it? I-5's like, I'm not just going to make this decision unilaterally because it affects everybody that I'm close to, because if I'm found, they'll be able to access my memory drives, they'll be able to get information about Whiplash. We need to decide together as a team. Dender, uh, Hananum Tikarinan, and Deja Duar are all like, nope, I don't think this should this should happen. This seems bad. And Jax is like, I'm not certain. Killing the Emperor seems like it would be a pretty good, big, pretty big good deed. Um, let me think on it, because it might just be vengeance, and if it's just vengeance, that's a bad thing, and also I'm risking my friend, and I don't want to make a decision for you, but you're asking for my input, so I'm going to have to make a decision. So it's a big whole thing. Jax begins to train Kaj with simple mantras and repetition of the Jedi Code, rolling a ball back and forth with the Force, meditation, talking over the philosophy of how to use it, and that sort of thing. Uh, it generally goes well with Kaj, except for the interference of Deja Duari. Uh, if you don't remember her, she's the Zeltron partner of Vesvalet, who died in the previous book. She's just mostly hanging around, being a font of money, and trying to seduce Jax. And now... She's trying to seduce Cash now that this teen who can use the Force has shown up. Uh, Hananam Tikarinan is the team's info hound. Uh, he still wants to experience the Force through Boda because he doesn't have any other way to access the Force and wants to get away in that order. Dender is contemplating returning to Sullis to be a clanmate of A.R. Marath, the singer he met on Drongar back in the MedStar series. And I-5 is mostly just trying to figure out if he wants to assassinate the Emperor. Also, something is bothering Larenth, but she's not part of the main squad, so we get much less from her and very little from her perspective. Everyone else is picking up on her discomfort, except for Jax. I don't know why. What a coincidence. Also, we have Paul House, the prefect for the local Coruscant police. Uh, he worked, or half investigated the group in the previous book, and now he works with them because he uses them as informants of sorts. Um... He stops by and reports that a Jedi or Force user has killed an Inquisitor, and there's pressure from coming on high, aka Darth Vader, to find that adept. He's also figured out that Jax is a Jedi, and has no plans to turn into Vader. Pole House would just like to have access to the Force adept to quell Vader and be like, I have dealt with the adept, you no longer have to worry about it, you can trust me Vader, problem is solved. The gang gives no firm answer, but they say they'll look into the adept. The adept, by the way, is in the other room of the apartment that Pole House doesn't go into. They shortly thereafter discover that the light sculptures of the late Ves Vallette somehow block the readings of both Jedi and empaths, particularly Deja. 
This is also when the skullduggery begins. Renan starts trying to figure out who has the boda, and since Renan, Deja, and Dan all don't want the assassination mission to occur, they plot together in simple ways. Or, they don't even plot together, there's just the insinuation of them having, like, secret alliances and agreements that don't really get any weight to them. Huh. They do realize a while later that the complex is being observed by inquisitors when dender and i5 return they quickly concoct a scheme with a bodysuit to sneak in hiding i5 as a clatoonian and den just pretends to be a realtor uh, and then use the bodysuit and light sculptures to sneak cadge out to relocate him because his force pulses are just a homing beacon for inquisitors they settle up at Vesvalet's old apartment. The multitude of light sculptures allows for cash to practice and for small outbursts to be mitigated and not felt by the Inquisitors, and in fact not felt by Force users inside the apartment at all. They then get a call from Pole House being like, Hey, do you have any do you do you have any information about that adept? Cause I feel like you you might have some information about that adept. Um Jax then goes to meet with Larenth and Thizon Yemen, a Saurian who is the leader of Whiplash, which is the rebel group on Coruscant. He is seeking advice regarding both Pull House hunting the Adept Cash and the assassination of Palpatine. Uh, with regards to Pull House, Thizon Yemen is like, oh, I've known him for a while. He knows about Whiplash. I trust him. I think you can, at the very least, talk to him and get a read on his senses and generally believe him. Or I would just trust him. Uh, and then with the assassination of Palpatine, both Larenth and Yimon knew that Tudan Saul was leading high-risk, high-reward special operations, but did not know that he was planning to go after the Emperor with members of their organization who could finger them. They do manage to convince him to meet with Pol and to get his own read on the cop. Yimon trusts Pol and has trusted him for a while. Uh, but Jack still hasn't made a decision on the assassination of the Emperor. Now, for some reason that's not specifically disclosed, Renan and Deja take Kaj out of the apartment where he's shielded when Pole House is going to visit. Deja later accepts Jax's explanation that she'd felt Kaj feel stress while he was there if Pole was also there, but she doesn't offer that answer. Neither does Renan. It's Jax is like, what were you thinking? And they're like, I don't know. It's like, were you thinking that he'd be stressed? And they're like, oh yeah, that's a good answer. I'll take that one. As Pole arrives uh, at the apartment, Kaj, Deja, and Renan are attacked by Inquisitors in the marketplace. Jack senses the disturbance and Pole offers to fly him over in an airspeeder. Larenth happens to be on site and quickly becomes a scrap between the three survivors, Jax, Larenth, and Kaj, and the three Inquisitors. One of the Inquisitors, Kaj, simply disintegrates, atomizes, uses the Force to make cease exist. This is not a power scene anywhere else and feels excessive the power we've seen from rageful dark lords is impressive and i think using powers we'd seen before from a sith would have had a lot more weight than a screen safe and then the target vanished um having him like instinctually throw out lightning or choke somebody or use the force to really hurt somebody and demonstrate dark side prowess would have made us been like oh this is clearly a problem because it has been labeled a problem before. Whereas putting somebody into or removing somebody from existence just doesn't 
it carries, of course, mortal weight, but it's a different sort of connection, and it's not connected to the rest of the universe, and so we don't know if that's a technique Jedi would use. I mean, they probably wouldn't, but Jedi use all sorts of techniques, including ones that are normally associated with Sith, and, but just having the connection would have been better. Anyways, um, the three managed to survive and kill two out of the three Inquisitors. Only Probus Tesla makes it out, and he's injured. After getting out, they agree that they need to relocate Cash again. Larenth volunteers to move him to the Whiplash safe house. While going there, they're captured by Inquisitors and taken to Vader. There's evidence that someone who knew about the plan and the route, so the gang, someone from Whiplash or Pull House, turned it over to the Imperials. Meanwhile, I-5 and Jax have their conversation with Tudin Saul. Having seen a recording of Lorne held by I-5, Jax was convinced to let I-5 do it and to go with him. In his mind, they're the only ones who can potentially accomplish the mission, and therefore it has to be them, and that's what it means to be a hero, doing something that you're not certain you'll succeed at, but just because you're the best at the job. Um, however, during the brawl in the marketplace, he sensed I-5 in the Force. He's gained enough sentience or soul or something to be detectable in moments of high emotionality, which eliminates one of the reasons he'd be a good assassin. Tudensal is just like, oh, well, just deactivate that part of him. Just cut out that code. Downside, that might kill I-5 sentience. It also means that he's back to factory settings and has the restraint of cannot kill people, and restraining bolts would work on him, and he becomes suddenly a lot less effective if you wipe him. He becomes about as dangerous as, say, C-3PO, which is to say, as dangerous as being really, really annoyed is. Okay, so then Tudensal's like, what if we have a switch that goes off and then on again? And then there's a moment where I-5 will have full sentience and be detectable, but that might leave a window of opportunity for the Emperor to react. And yet, for some reason, although Tudensal hasn't really answered Jax's ethical concerns, the way the story played out is Jax was like, I have all of these concerns. Tudensal's like, you shouldn't have those concerns. They don't make sense. Jax is like, please give me some sort of argument. Tudensal's like, you shouldn't have those concerns. They don't make any sense. Jax is like, please give me an example. And so I-5 butts in and says, why don't we talk about something else? If we were to say yes, what would the plan look like? And once Tudensal starts explaining the plan, Jax pitches some ideas and then is like, great, I'm 100% on board with this plan. Which felt very convenient for me because his concerns still were not addressed. And so he still has those concerns and that's... I don't like it. But in the middle of this, they hear that Larenth and Cash have been taken, and the assassination turns into a rescue mission. Now, it's been determined that Renan will somehow be able to reach out to Darth Vader and offer to exchange I-5 and the Boda for Larenth and Cash. Uh, one of the first terms is that, actually, Jax must perform the negotiations directly with Vader, uh, and in his negotiations over Holocall, I-5, the Boda, the Pyronium Crystal that Anakin Skywalker gave to Jax, and the Sith Holocron that Renan stole in the first book will be traded for Larenth and Jax alive. Also, during the call, Vader's like, by the way, you should just surrender now, because as soon as this trade is over, things go back to our normal ways and I hunt you again. And it's like, why don't... Why are you saying that you can just betray Jax and solve it. You have no honor to lose. It doesn't make any sense. However, Renan also leaks the info about the Boda to Palpatine. I have no idea how Renan uh, gets into like Palpatine's Twitter feed, but 
because Palpatine now knows about the Boda and the power that it enhance, he's going to want to have some presence at the meeting, which will ideally keep Vader in check from trying to claim it for himself. He'll have to claim it for the Emperor, which seems worse than honestly claiming it for Darth Vader. The exchange is planned. Jax goes in disguise as an Inquisitor. Oh, it slips into the compound earlier. I-5 is escorted by Deja and Renan. Den isn't present because he left earlier for Sullust and for Iyer Marath. The exchange of prisoners and objects is far from flawless. Deja reveals a betrayal. She simply wanted to feel someone close to the Force. And when Jax wouldn't let her in and have intimacy with her, she turned to Cash. And when he disappeared, she turned to Probus Tesla. Which doesn't make a ton of sense because Cash needed to be betrayed before he was kidnapped. Although it's possible that Renan set up that betrayal and then Deja set up this betrayal and both of them were betrayers. Um, I think we're supposed to think that Deja is just acting weird because of romantic jealousy directed towards Larenth, and Renan is set up to be a villain, but it just doesn't land with me. He's just such a historically ineffectual and complainy character. He doesn't have a lot of personality other than I'm really smart, everyone else is dumb, and I'm grumpy. And But that's, that's it. I've enjoyed characters with that as their character, but we got more than just a description of, I hate everybody because I'm old and grumpy. We have descriptions of why and the character's history, and Renan is just a very, very flat character, in my opinion. Now, at the exchange, Vader is given the Boda and the Pyronium Crystal. Uh, he asks Jax to return the crystal. Jax also senses a familiar presence with inside the suit of Darth Vader. This is thinking emoji time. Hmm. Uh, Vader injects the Boda and immediately just begins to send out shockwaves of force power. Jax tries to attack him but is blocked by Probus Tesla. By sheer luck, a wave of force throws Tesla into a wall of electronics, stunning him. Deja tries to embrace Vader but is destroyed by a rogue wave of the force. And Vader ends up pulling Cash, who is there as an Inquisitor and Prentice, and Jax out a window when Renan throws himself at Vader. He touches the Force when he's obliterated by it. This is written as like a bittersweet success, somebody finding what they've been chasing their entire life as they die. But to me, it just feels like somebody who's gone mad dying, a character who's supposed to be very logical and put together, just as like, I'm going to jump out a window for vengeance? It doesn't makes sense. But the tackle is enough to break the connection between Vader and Jax and Vader and Cash, and so Jax, Larenth, I-5, and Cash are all able to flee. It's at around this time that Whiplash operatives show up, including Dender, who didn't actually leave the planet, he was just off stage for a little bit. They send Cash off to Shili, which is the homeworld of the Togruta, where he can receive healing from Togrutan healers and the Silent, which are a medical orb first mentioned in MedStar 1. Larenth and Jax have an expression of feeling towards each other and hold hands. This is because he was, or this delay in action and this reciprocation, whatever, is happens now because he was more affected by Deja and her pheromones than he thought. And that's about where this story ends. It ends without, like, a lot of resolution to a lot of stuff, but there's one more book in the series, if not in the trilogy. I don't, again, understand why they just didn't do a quartet. Anyways, diving into analysis, I think that this book could have been excellent, but there are just some elements that don't quite come together, and I'm hopeful that they see satisfying conclusions in The Last Jedi. For example, we've gotten hints and indications that the Pyronium Crystal is some source of great power and that Vader wants it, but nothing about what it is. It feels like a MacGuffin, 
as is the entirety of the first book. The chase for Jackson Co. has... It's more of a farce now than thriller horror at this point. The threats that come after them are all underpowered or talked up and then fail to deliver, and so there's nothing that really makes me worried for their safety. Jax has had a lot of close calls, and his partners have had a lot of close calls, but if don't ever feel like he's in danger because no hero has ever been defeated. Nick was injured but survived, and he was the greatest risk in the first book. In the second book, Larenth uh, had an injured arm. The wiki says it was severed. The book says it was nearly completely severed. And yet in this book, only a couple months later at the upper end, she's using two blasters, and so she seems to have wholly recovered or got a prosthetic, but there's not really any mention made of her injury, and so we just apparently forgot about it entirely. Also, our two betrayers, traitors, Deja and Renan, they both die, but when they die, they're dying inconsequential deaths, and they've been painted into being antagonists, and so they're no longer heroes, and so they're, oh, it's okay for them to die because they're not important to the future of the story because they're not going to be main characters. And I just don't feel a loss at the death of antagonists, at least particularly in the way this book is composed. It's just like, oh, these characters are no longer relevant to the plot. I'm gonna uh, kill them. It just feels like bad soap opera writing, I guess. Also, while Jax has some flaws, he has yet to lose a combat, I think. Like, he hasn't been pitched as a virtuoso in combat. He just gets lucky and doesn't lose against Ara Singh and Shizor and pretty much every fight he had except for the one against the Cathar, I felt like he was probably outmatched and just lucked into winning. At, mm, he's also been written as a very stoic character without a lot of discernment or intense feelings, which can lead to a boring narrator because he doesn't allow himself to get excited about things or sad or angry. He has a very narrow band of acceptable emotions, and that creates for a very dull and dry narration. There are other stories, of course, where we've experienced Jedi as the narrator. I mean, Shatterpoint was written from the perspective of Mace Windu, and it was incredible because Mace Windu has more than one feeling. He has a whole range of them. He does feel excitement. He does feel anger and frustration and sadness. And we get all of that. And here we just get Jax being like, nope, I'm not interested in people. I'm just going to have no feelings at all. I will be the perfect Jedi. And he also makes a decision as 100% committed and then flip-flops as soon as somebody presents a single good argument. Now, this is something that I can empathize with very personally, but the other characters all seem to be like struggling through and thinking through things, not just snapping off decisions. And so to me, they're more compelling. Plus, Larenth, I-5, and Den are all funnier and funner characters. Like, I'm kind of curious as to why they all follow Jack. I mean, I understand why I-5 follows Jax, because he was Lauren's son, and I guess Den follows... I-5 who's following Jax, and Larenth follows Jax because she has a crush on him and has had forever, and since everybody else is following him, Radon and Deja might as well follow him, but it's not because he's a fantastic leader, it's just he lucked into this position where people feel obligated to pay him respect. Oh, oh also, you know how I've griped in the past about antagonists who are too separate from the protagonists, and the protagonists don't even know who's hunting them until the end? Well, this time, they get the name Probus Tesla right off at the beginning, 
only for him to be retasked to hunt the force out of Cash instead of Jax, and so, like, that setup just falls flat on its face. Speaking of Cash, a teenage street rat knows about the Sith. Keep in mind that, like, a few months ago, senators and generals didn't know about the Sith. Maybe there's, like, a lot more discourse surrounding them. Maybe the Jedi were like, wait, we should tell everyone as we're dying so we can prepare them instead of, you know, telling them earlier so they could protect themselves. But maybe there's just been a lot of messaging from Jedi and Jedi-allied organizations being like, hey, Sith exist, they're a problem. But another element of the threat of the chase being undermined is we are told in this book by Darth Vader himself that he knows of Whiplash, knows the Thizin... Yemen, Thizan Yemen, Thizan Yemen, and doesn't feel it necessary to take action. They're like, we know where the rebels are. They're not moving. They think we don't. We can just crush them whenever. And that just, to me, just ratchets it down the intensity because we are told directly that we're not going to chase them as intensely as we could. We could absolutely destroy them, but we're not going to. And that just seems like changing the game difficulty from normal to easy when you get stuck on a boss, which is a thing that I do sometimes because I enjoy the stories. Anyways, it just ratchets it down the intensity so much that I just don't like the presence of that scene in this book. Anyways, let's talk about Jedi for a little bit. We do get some examples of Jedi training between Jax and Cash. There's the repetition of the Jedi Code and discussion of how the Force presents itself. To Jax, as mentioned previously, it's tendrils connecting people and things and emotions. To Cash, it's a flowing river backed up behind a dam and that sort of thing. An extension of that, that metaphor, I guess, is that Jedi training encompasses a lot of things. I wish it was explored more thoroughly. One part that's brought up here is that engineering is a part of Jedi training. Assembling the lightsaber is part of an advancement ritual, and so you need to have some degree of technical skill. And then, of course, there is is or was broader education in the Jedi Temple, which I wish was explained more thoroughly. It's not just, oh yeah, we had to make lightsabers so we can have the ability to futz with light sculptures, but the Jedi were lovers of knowledge. We studied light engineering and Kamasi poetry and economic structure from the corporate alliance we just don't get any of that i know that the jedi have more education and it's just not demonstrated here of course to be fair the jedi temple's been destroyed but they're talking about past education and what cash's future will look like and i think it's very reasonable to include something more than like oh yeah we have to build lightsabers you'll get to do that one day cash is of course very eager he's like can i build a lightsaber today can i start training with a lightsaber today and while luke skywalker started with a lightsaber on day one he seemed a lot more even keeled than cash does they do have some remote training like Luke in A New Hope, but Jax gives Kaj a Durasteel pole instead of a lightsaber. Uh-huh. One of the consequences of this is when the electric bolt from the drone hits the blade, or blade, uh, there's a little bit of a shock from Cash, and so there's always a little bit of extra stress. Now, what's cool is that like the remote training is a very important part of Jedi training. It's a practical way of teaching the student to not rely on their standard senses and heightened reflexes, but to instead trust in the Force, uh, which makes sense as a very fundamental exercise. Jax also says we'll try when Cash pleads to him to train him in self-control. Like, Cash is like, please, please, please don't let me fall to the dark side, and 
Jax is like, all right, we'll try. I like the reflection and the lack of remembrance of Yoda's teachings, whether it's an intentional reference or not. And especially given that this is exceptionally important to Cash, it just demonstrates to me that Jax is a terrible teacher and not a worthy master at all. Uh, speaking of Jax a little bit more, Pole House appropriately roasts Jax. Part of his identification is personal, seeing him move comfortably, reacting to danger before it's visible, disappearing from Pole's senses, that sort of thing. Another element that Pole calls out is that Jax is the apparent leader despite being quiet. This is funny to me because I have experience that demonstrates that it's not always the loudest who are the best leaders, but I guess by saying the only place that would happen is among Jedi means I know Jedi or something. Anyways, uh, House also is just like, dude, why are you still going by your name that's on Imperial Files that says you are a Jedi and a subject of interest? Like, you could have just renamed yourself and that would have saved you a lot of trouble. There's also some talk about the use of Boda. Both Renan and Deja, who are self-centered and inwardly focused, don't understand why Jax wouldn't just take the Boda because it could give him power. He, of course, doesn't want to take it because he doesn't know what will happen and is worried that so much exposure to the Force might cause him to fall to the dark side or something. But a lot of characters in this series feel very clearly dark side aligned and would be dark Jedi if they were exposed to the Force. Deja and Renan, of course, and Kaj is heading that way. As mentioned, the use of Boda goes poorly for Vader, possibly because it was in storage for a year and degraded, or possibly it enhances the will of the Force and the Force has a bone to pick with Vader. Maybe because it has to do with what the user wants. Barris wanted knowledge and understanding and got more than she could handle. Vader wants power and got more than he wanted. And I think I like that answer the best. The It gives you the what you want, the power or knowledge that you want, but just overloads you so that you can't actually be effective while using it. Because that's just kind of neat. I also did like that Jax called Darth Vader's experience, quote, a bad trip, end quote, which is just kind of hilarious, because I hadn't considered Darth Vader doing drugs. Now, moving on to another powerful Jedi adept, possibly, almost certainly more powerful than Jax, we have Kajin Savros. Uh, like Anakin, incredibly strong, very little control, separated from his family at a late age. I mean, he vaporized someone, which is not an ability seen elsewhere, and he does things that other Jedi and Force users see as possible, but accept exceptional control or power for it to work, and Cash clearly doesn't have the control. This feels like yet another original character from a tabletop RPG where the writer just wanted his character to have his moment in the sun, not a fleshed-out part of the world, but a tack-on with interesting elements to create a unique story. But, like, come on, a farming kid sent away from a backwater planet has... A magical talent? I'm sure I've heard that one several times before. Of course, it's important to note that he feeds his power with outrage and anger, and I think it would have been interesting to see Cash fall or begin to fall and recover, but instead we just see him brainwashed and sent off stage to heal, never to be heard from again. Diving into miscellany, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but we were exposed to the idea of subtext and language through brain tales, or leku the tendrils on a Twi'lek's head, or on a Togruta. I just like that extra aspect of body language is considered, and for Twi'leks, it's a part of their language, like specific gestures, and not just talking with your hands. 
that's really the only note I have in this. I mean, there aren't that many interesting details. I guess the only thing I have otherwise is these on Yemen. His dual brain biology allows him to play advocate and devil's advocate for any rebellious plans, which is a neat trick in a leader. But that's, I believe, something we've mentioned in passing about other Syrians, namely Kiati Mundi. If you enjoyed this book, you'll be excited for The Last Jedi, the book, not the movie, and make sure you're getting the novelization, or not getting the novelization of the movie, sorry. I think that the X-Wing series deals with the ideas of characters crossing from one side to the other better, and has much better redemption arcs and characters coming together, so it's the same as this, but just much, much better. Anyways, next time will be The Last Jedi by Michael Reeves and Maya Catherine Bonhoff. It's not part of the Coruscant Knights trilogy, but it does wrap up Jax's story. If you like this episode and want to hear more of my ramblings, please be sure to check that box to like, subscribe, favorite, or whatever it is your app calls it, and check back in next time. You can contact me on Twitter at Jedi underscore archives, or email me at podcast at I'm Jonah, and archives are incomplete.